Hey guys, welcome back to A Woman Podcast, Season 1, Episode 2, Trauma and the Human Brain. Um, Today we're going to obviously be discussing how the human brain reacts when it's introduced to trauma. Basically, I wanted to touch on this as like kind of a part two to the last episode we did, which was um, a little bit about childhood trauma. And I wanted to address the actual stuff that goes into how that affects the human brain because I can talk to you all for ages about what trauma looks like in children and the long-term effects it has on their development. However, that could just be seen as unnecessary and made-up disorders to opposing opinions. The long-term effects could be dismissed by, well, it happened to me and I'm fine, generational trauma, but etc etc so today i'm going to be breaking down the human brain and how it acts when introduced to trauma all the way down to the cortexes and lobes so hopefully after this episode the way trauma affects us makes more sense so let's get into it so the basic breakdown of the human brain in context to trauma can be really well explained by looking at the hand model of the brain by dr daniel siegel um It basically, and this would be a good time to have a video podcast and not just an audio podcast, but um, I will put the resources in the description if any of you want to take a visual look at this model. But basically, if you just take your hand and make a fist with your thumb inside your palm, not the outside, and you look at it from thumb side, the top where your fingers wrap around your thumb signifies the neocortex which is really like the part of the brain that handles all of the executive functionings or thinking skills or speech um, meaning making your sense of time things like that the thumb represents the limbic system which is in the middle so think of the neocortex as the top and the limbic system is in the middle and then the brain stem is the bottom Um, The limbic system, or the amygdala, or hypothalamus, um, or midbrain, lots of different, you know, sections, um, is the center of emotion and learning. It's more of a relational system, so it regulates motivations and emotions, feelings, reproduction, attachment behaviors. Um, It doesn't have a sense of time, like yesterday's today and tomorrow and this is where our fight flight and freeze response is housed so continuing on the brain stem is the bottom part of your hand basically the arm um the brain stem is sometimes referred to as the r complex um or the lizard brain or basal i can't i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right but basal ganglia Um, I'm reading off of, I did write down little outlined notes, so forgive me if I did not say that right. But basically, that stands for the brainstem and cerebellum. So, this is kind of like, my professor told me to think of it as like the walking dead. Like, the brainstem only really houses our animal instincts, our reflex behaviors, our muscle control, basic, basic things like balance, breathing, and heartbeat. Um, so... I like the hand model by Dr. Daniel Siegel because it's really good when trying to explain this stuff to kids 
and also just like people in general that don't really know much about trauma um it's a really easy explanation to get across how trauma affects the human brain that way you're not losing people if you try and re-explain this information to somebody else <laughs> um but also another good brain model to show these three distinct brains working together as one is paul mclean's um triune brain model each has its own sense of time and orientation and they're working together as one but there's still three distinct brains working together as one that's just kind of the theory behind his triune brain model um so now that we know that basically how does trauma react with this like how does this go together with trauma basically when we experience trauma the panic button gets stuck per se in our brains and we are constantly in a panic after experiencing that trauma the limbic brain is kind of where that panic button is the limbic brain is activated and the prefrontal lobes go offline so that prefrontal cortex um the limbic, the limbic system is now like kind of in control and you, there's no getting back to the lobes at this current moment after experiencing trauma. Neurologically unprocessed trauma creates a disconnection in the brain from the limbic brain to the prefrontal, prefrontal lobes. This is why when trying to communicate with someone who has experienced a trauma, the communication and evidence gathering can be difficult. Like if you are a therapist and you have a client and you're trying to kind of get to the root of what is going on and you're trying to ask like what time did this happen what day um things like that things that the prefrontal cortex is like that's where it's housed and that's what operates the functioning of your sense of time um if that's offline you're not going to be able to verbally explain to somebody when your trauma happened or what time it was you know or what day it was that's just not going to be possible so instead what you want to try and do is ask try and communicate and gather evidence that is more things that are housed in the limbic system like um feelings motivations and emotions so things that i might ask somebody if i'm like trying to figure out if they've gone through trauma may be what did it what were you feeling when this was happening what did it smell like um what did you see you know like things like that more sensation based questions because there's just you're not it's really hard to get someone that's gone through trauma to verbally express it because a lot of that development is housed in the prefrontal lobes um and symptoms can change from day to day too like when you go through trauma, you start to gain a self-protection instinct, and that can get in the way of evidence gathering as well, because you may want to not share because of that, you know? And sometimes, too, we can use non-patronizing questions to ground people when they start disassociating or zoning out. Um, if you think about it, the fight, flight, or freeze response is in the limbic system, and we're only operating on that so after we've experienced a trauma it's honestly very common for people to dissociate or freeze or to start to get aggressive and fight or to start to get scared and very fearful and you know flee um 
that makes sense because that is the that is the part of the brain that houses that functioning so this is a very normal human response to abnormal events that is something we really have to remember is trauma is not a normal event and a lot of people in society because trauma research is so so new don't really understand like small t traumas traumas that aren't technically classified as like your bigger complex trauma things like having a move that was really hard on the child could be seen as a small t trauma or I don't I can't think of anything at the moment but point being these are abnormal events so this human response is very normal and it's very very easy to get frustrated and wrapped up in ourselves and what we're feeling and disengage from how our client is feeling after they have gone through trauma or even just like you know if you're a parent and you have a kid and you're like trying to figure out why they're having very different behaviors and you're thinking it has to do with trauma if you're seeing some of these things like just remember it's very very normal especially for kids because they have very little language development still to be able to verbally tell you these more difficult questions so using non-patronizing questions to ground them when they're starting to zone out that is completely normal and that is okay like don't expect it to be easy basically um basically and as i said you have to engage with their feelings to get the facts you can't start at the beginning you have to start with memories because like i said there's no sense of time you have to go off of the feelings the sensations things they remember and because of all this this is why you see in individuals with trauma their indicators usually can be crying a lot um a feeling of numbness, nightmares, flashbacks. All the time, I feel like a big part of trauma is shame and guilt. That is like one of the biggest leading causes is a feeling of shame and guilt. Um, inability to enjoy sex. Um, social isolation triggers, obviously using negative coping mechanisms. Um, that could be like alcohol, drugs, uh, I don't know, watching too much TV to the point that you're gaining way too much weight or like self-harm, all those sorts of things. Jumbled up memory. Like I said, normal process of memories is off because there is a disconnection in the brain, like a literal disconnection between the prefrontal lobes and the limbic system and being hypervigilant. So what does this mean for childhood trauma? New faces can appear threatening positive social cues can be missed it can be hard to enjoy extracurriculars and groups of people sometimes you may see them in extracurriculars or groups of people and can sometimes react poorly maybe you see aggression maybe you see social isolation over time this can leave the child feeling excluded and isolated and can lead to mental health problems So some of what we talked about in the last episode are those long-term mental health effects that come with the different childhood trauma disorders. Um, The brain adapts to help them cope with different reward systems like neglect and rejection. Memory systems like negative memories becoming more prominent or everyday memories become less detailed. As someone that's gone through childhood trauma, I can relate to that. Like threat systems, hypervigilance. Um, it's more, hypervigilance is more of a sign of adaptation rather than retaliation. 
Hypervigilance comes after a trauma because you're trying to adapt as a survival instinct rather than retaliate as a survival instinct. Um, and when you're talking about childhood trauma, we have to think about something called latent vulnerability. Latent vulnerability um, can be caused by trauma, trauma and arises through relationships throughout the lifespan. So, say a hostile environment is happening um, and there's a childhood trauma, the brain then adapts. Then, so in a safe environment, the, amount of protective the child or risk factors they have later in life the can lead to many possible futures like heightened risk or lowered risk of whatever of those ACEs we talked about in the last episode. Adverse childhood experiences. So... That's what latent vulnerability is, and that's what happens when a child goes through trauma. You see all of this, but that's what's happening, and that's why it's so serious, is because they are mismatching hostile environments with safe environments. And it can show in social situations, or you can later see it in life. Like in my situation, I didn't really like act out, but I did end up like later in life internally acting out I guess per se like I was harming myself and I was putting myself down and just things like that um and I had some protective factors but I also had a lot of risk factors and I also see myself emerging (laughs) with some of those possible futures that I see on those adverse childhood experience charts and I'm just like Yeah, that probably has to do with my childhood trauma back when I was like 5 to 10, you know. So, latent vulnerability is a really real thing. Um, I will put the model I have and the link to latent vulnerability in the description if you want to look more into that. It's a lot to look into and like I really just briefly explained it. So really, please take a deeper look because that is such a big part of childhood trauma. And basically what ultimately this means is that normal boundaries and expectations are still valid, but this helps us take a step back and realize the behavior so that we are able to talk to the children. Because remember, children already don't have much language development. And then if you go through trauma and you already don't have like the processes, the cognitive processes to really be able to handle it, I mean, nobody can handle trauma. It's trauma. It's an abnormal stressful event big one so if you're gonna go through this there's gonna be a change in your development you're going to be stuck like we said in the limbic system and you're not going to get unstuck unless you have protective factors going in to help that's the bottom line so like it helps us realize what's going on so that maybe if you're I know like what I used to do once I realized this is in my day-to-day job with my kids I would try little like mindfulness play therapy based things like I would have them play with play-doh but there was one catch they could make anything they want but it had to at least show me one time in their life that they were feeling some sort of way I didn't care what up to their imagination I just wanted to know about one thing that made them feel one sort of way And honestly, I learned a lot about the kids just with that one simple activity that I never would have gotten with any sort of one-on-one conversation verbally. And I learned a lot about some things that my kids were going through that could be considered traumatic. 
and you know I was a teacher so I didn't really have much grounds to do much other than write like a form but like it was really interesting to just like actually witness that so like that's why it's so important it helps us take a step back and realize the behavior so that we can better help them and talk to them okay moving on I want you to think of the brain being introduced to trauma in the same way we think of learning and receiving new information. Information enters the system through sensory, through the senses, right? Then the brain filters, allows or does not allow the info, and it's then perceived. Um, this is where we form our belief systems. <clears throat> Sorry. Information is processed by the amygdala and then labeled with an emotion no danger or danger so if there's uh, information perceived as no danger the hippocampus is activated and connects to other information then the thalamus and anterior cingulate gyrus activate i don't know if i said that right correct me again please i don't know i'm not a neurologist okay um but <laughs> These two things activate and move info to the prefrontal cortex for storage. Finally, information is in the prefrontal cortex and it is stored. The hippocampus is calm and it's ready for new information. Basically, think about, you know, how we receive information normally, like say like on a computer. If you're inputting information onto a computer, say like something that isn't a virus or isn't a danger to your computer it's going to operate normally and be able to receive more new information however if it's labeled with an emotion of danger the hippocampus and thalamus activate and move information to a survival part of the brain which is the hypothalamus this engages with the reptilian brain where our fight flight or freeze and thwart response are um, no thought goes into it. The frontal lobes are off because there's a flooding of information. Kind of think of like if you got a virus on your computer, you get a bunch of pops up, pop-ups and your computer starts malfunctioning. That's kind of what's happening in the brain. Your frontal lobes are off and you're starting to get a flooding of information. So our brains are starting to malfunction and then the hypothalamus still stays active and codes the event. So the hypothalamus and the reptilian brain, or the brainstem, are ready for action as needed, but they're engaging with maladaptive behavior to numb, aid, and force the system to be calm or distracted. And that's where you see some of our other symptoms, like engaging in aggressive behavior, or engaging in social isolation, or engaging in substances, or whatever. And this goes down to really issues in the tissues is what my professor <laughs> liked to call it um and basically this means when memories live in the part of the brain that plays out in the theater of the body per se that's traumatic stress and basically what i mean by that is when we're having this danger response and we're getting like a flooding of information to the point that our brains are malfunctioning um and we're not able to really process much of our memories other than like basic sensations and feelings and emotions um you're gonna see a lot of that trauma end up playing out in different parts of your body so like maybe if you start getting a little triggered you start bouncing your leg a lot or i know when i get really like triggered by something i'll start clenching my fist or i'll start picking at my skin um that's traumatic stress coming out of your body 
And it's literally because it is literally happening so much in your brain that naturally it would come out through your like tissues, I guess per se, as my professor said it. Like there's issues in the tissues and that makes sense. Um, Talking is not enough because trauma is stored in the part of the brain that has nothing to do with talking, as we've said a million times already. So if distress cannot be healthily processed, the body will get it out somehow involuntary shaking or even zits like acne stress acne or farts stress gas like or stress eating even can start having some of those side effects something that goes way more into this that's a good resource that i have a paper copy of um it's called the body keeps the score by bessel van der Kolk. bessel van der kolk oh my god i'm so sorry um, I will put a link in the description directly to one on Amazon, and I'm not kidding, guys. It's literally $12 just for a paper copy. So if you want to give it a quick read or download like an Amazon audiobook version, you really should because it really gets into the nitty gritty of all of it. Something else that goes with trauma is dissociation, as we talked a little bit about earlier. Some people look at some people see freeze responses and think disassociation i zone out all the time but there's a there's a line like a very clear line between when i'm disassociated and when i'm zoned out and just frozen disassociation is something that really needs to be demystified or destigmatized i guess disassociation is a defense mechanism it's the brain's fail safe Clients may be fighting unresolved trauma, or trauma can be too scary to know, and therefore they disassociate. May essentially be a freeze response, but there's a continuum of disassociation. So, it could be adaptive to keep us safe or relaxed sometimes, and that's why it's adapted as a defense mechanism, because trauma is a survival instinct and an unnatural event. Or, trauma creates a survival instinct and is an unnatural event. So, it can be adaptive when we're actually in an unsafe situation. However, it can move toward functional impairment, say, if we're not in an unsafe environment. Like we saw in that, um, whatever I called it, latent vulnerability model earlier that we talked about. If we look at that where we start mixing up hostile environments with safe environments, it can be a functional impairment because now we're having this disassociation symptom when it's not needed and we're starting to feel unsafe when we should feel safe. Um, So again, there's that mix matching. Again, with how you can see like someone that had to be aggressive as survival instinct in their trauma, you know, as a defense mechanism, like was to fight back. So now they have a fight response and later in life they mix that up in a safe situation and maybe get in a fight with somebody because they felt unsafe in a safe situation. That's a functional impairment. Like that's causing an impairment to your daily functional ability, abilities. So all of this being said, how can we use this information to help whoever it is that is going through trauma in our lives these are the do's that you want them to try and start doing and the don'ts that you want them to start to stop so these are for the people with trauma not for you to do to the people with trauma 
So for the person going through trauma, you want to try and help them to start making eye contact, start expressing emotions with their face, modulating their voice, because you'll see people that go through trauma kind of become a little zombified because we're kind of offline with our prefrontal cortex. We're closer to the part of the brain that only really does those basic functions. So that's important to start trying to be conscious of that. Start helping them to listen to voices and separate them from background noises because you'll find that noises and sound starts to get mixed up and become may even become a trigger for some people. You want to help them adjust their circumstances to feel safer. So if they don't feel safe, help them be able to adjust so that they can in a healthy and you know functional way. Help them... Um, adjust their focus to things that will make them feel safe so redirecting to positive things that make them feel safe you could even try having them playing a musical instrument this is proven to help with stress and trauma and it's just something nice to learn (laughs) and you could also try helping them to move into social relationships instead of away because the more we socially isolate the more we are inducing anxiety and the more we are, you know, obviously isolating ourselves, which is what we saw earlier as a main symptom of trauma. So we want to move into social relationships instead of a way to reduce slight anxiety. So things you want to help the people going through trauma not do is try to help them not combine intimate conversation with hard exercise. They'll start to misread all of the other person's cues. Don't help them to try to not isolate themselves in trying to feel safer. You can connect with others too and still try to feel safe. But obviously there's a give and take with that. So don't push them if like they really can't take it. And next point, <laughs> don't help help them not to push themselves too hard when to feel social when they feel unsafe. And on the next note with that, (laughs) help them to try not to push themselves harder to feel social when they may feel unsafe. It's always important to seek safety first. Don't ignore their gut reactions. Help them to adapt to them and learn from them. You don't, usually if your gut's telling you something, same with the issues in the tissues part that we talked about. If your gut's telling you something, a lot of the time it might be right. Don't use fighting or fleeing with loved ones. Instead, find a way to get to safety. So helping them when they may start to have those fight or flight responses, instead try to redirect to something more safe. And then hopefully over time they can do that independently. Help them not to substitute um, interaction contact for face-to-face or phone contact. So basically... Help them try not to get rid of like face-to-face social interactions with something like phone contact, like FaceTime or text message or call. It is important to get that face-to-face in. (laughs) And then finally, help them not to assume that others' outbursts reveal their true attitudes or motivations. Because sometimes, you know, I know I'm, I feel like I've grown. I feel like I'm very well regulated most of the time now, but sometimes I have a very overwhelmed abundance of emotions going on and I just haven't been letting it out I haven't been expressing it in the right ways 
and I have an outburst like I just kind of like have my normal behaviors again someone that's gone through trauma may see these things as a one you know something that doesn't happen often and immediately like their whole perspective of the person will change and it's like I've now seen your true colors and, and you know your true motivations you know sometimes that's true but again when you're gone through trauma you mix up these situations so it's important to try and help them not to assume that everybody's outbursts reveal their true attitudes key point is assume so finally how can we connect and help people going through trauma heal interaction with others obviously is very important interaction with others obviously produces fear and anxiety but it also produces healing so kind of that saying of you have to get uncomfortable to get comfortable help them form like start forming healthy adaptive connectedness with the person because that helps them untangle their wires per se because trauma is really just a bundle of mixed up wires or string that we're just trying to slowly unwind you know um a powerful force for change for a traumatized person is the quality of a you know aligned alliance relationship so there has to be a 50 50 you know it's like a I forget who came up with the metaphor. My professor told me it, but it's like a fine dance. Like you want to follow their lead, but you also want to guide them. There's a nice balance. You don't want to be too inducing on the relationship because then you're not performing. You're not keeping a healthy, adaptive connectedness. Um, There is healing in healthy connection. Restoration can be possible in these adaptive relationships. So if we keep pushing for this healthy connection in our relationships with the traumatized individuals, restoration is possible and healing is possible. Something that comes with this is it's also important to recognize ourselves. We have a window of tolerance. We can't always be there to take in and take in and take in and give and give and give. We have to be regulated to be able to regulate children. Each child has a unique window of tolerance too. When they are within it, they can function normally and are at their personal best. This is when we may see not a lot of these behaviors happening. But when they feel pushed outside their window, whether it's hyper arousal or not, they resort back to their emotions and instincts. A child can be triggered by anything and can be slightly pushed out of the box or pushed out a lot. Physiological symptoms happen in response hyperarousal, which is our fight response, which you'll see aggressiveness, hyperness, controllingness, or hypoarousal, which is our flight or freeze response, which is emptiness, numb, looking scared, not being able to talk. Children who often feel this way have a smaller box than other children, and our job as adults is to support them and aid them so that this box can grow. People with trauma have or children with trauma have a much much smaller box because you went through a very unnatural experience and have formed unnatural reactions because of it out of survival instincts our job is to support them and aid them so that this box can continue to grow somebody that's gone through trauma is never going to not be able to grow their window of tolerance and be able to regulate again coming from personal testimonial As someone that's gone through childhood trauma, 
I have been able, after years of therapy and social support systems and education, been able to start growing and healing and being able to grow my own window of tolerance. And therefore, I've been able to start helping people better. I'm not accidentally hurting people that I'm trying to help because my window of tolerance is too little. So it's important to recognize ours, but it's also important to recognize that when a child is having a behavior because you know they've gone through trauma, they might be out of their window of tolerance and we have to be careful how we try and engage with them. By regulating their emotions for them and with them, they will learn they are not so dangerous. We can even identify their triggers and build a nurturing and safe environment for them. So basically, we went through a lot. We got down to the nitty gritty brain functionings and the nitty gritty brain terminologies that I misread a couple times because I'm not a neurologist. Um, I am a family scientist, but that is beside the point. Um, I hope this gave you a nice little wrap up. Again. I will put resources in the description if you want to take a deeper look, which I do recommend because, again, I really wrapped this up into a very brief description, and I also stuttered a lot, so if some of what I said wasn't very clear, that's fine, too, and, like, you may need to look deeper at this, and I highly, highly recommend you do because this topic is so important, and if you wanted to know about the last episode's topic, this is definitely going to make it all make sense for you. So please, please, please look more into those resources. With that being said, that's everything I have to discuss with you today. I hope you enjoyed Season 1, Episode 2 of A Woman Podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed learning more about the human brain and trauma. I always find this stuff kind of interesting, even though it's a heavy topic to learn about, definitely. Um, But it is something that needs to be taught and learned because it is so new when it comes to the research field. And I'm still seeing every day in just societal life that people don't know enough about it. And it really is a daily occurrence and so common for people to have experienced some sort of trauma or stressor that could be a crisis or eventually evolve into a trauma. You know, there's so many different like gray lines between what is trauma And so I hope discussing the actual brain, you know, functioning of it broke it down for you. And I hope that that helps you with whoever in your life is going through trauma that you want to be able to help. I hope that if you're looking to spread resources, that this is a comprehensible educational format for you. And I hope that you enjoyed learning with me. If you want to continue supporting me, please subscribe and follow to this podcast. Go ahead and look at my link tree. You can find this link at any sort of bio on my Instagram or Facebook or any of my socials. Um, I will also put the link tree link in the description to make it easier for people. But this link tree link will basically take you to my blog where you can see some of these topics and other bonus topics that I don't discuss on the podcast being posted. It's still new, so it's not having a lot of content yet, but you will see it start building up. And also, if you want to follow any of my other parts of socials of the medias (laughs) that have my podcast on them, I'm going to start converting these audio files into um, video files for YouTube. And this is also on RSS community. This is where I get my RSS feed to post my podcast. 
So I also put the link to that if you're interested in listening to this anywhere else. In the future, I am looking into putting this podcast on Apple, Apple Podcasts, so stay tuned on that, and I enjoyed talking, I did, so (laughs) I don't know what else to say, so I'm just going to end it here. Um, Yeah, follow me, subscribe to me, thanks for listening, thanks for learning, bye.